Well, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would love for you to take it and turn to the book of Mark, chapter 6. This passage was going to be longer this morning, but as I prayed through it and kind of looked at it, I was like, we need to stop and talk about these first five verses of this telling of the feeding of the 5,000, which we'll get to next week, but because it's Thanksgiving. What's your number one gratitude? What's the thing that you have eternal gratitude for? I hope it's something that you can't earn and you don't deserve. Because as believers in Jesus Christ, that's what it should be, our relationship with God Almighty because of Jesus Christ. And you know what? His compassion, his compassion for our soul made it so, made it possible. I want you to hear that here in this passage. Let's, let's read chapter 6, verses 30 through 34. It'll be on the screen. You can follow along, please. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for <laughs> this passage because it is something we all need to hear. We need to hear that you want us to take time to rest, to recuperate. But you also want us to have compassion for those who don't know you. And you showed this in a mighty way, in a very subtle way, in a very gentle way as well. Speak to our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, minister to us this morning. In your name, Father, we pray. Amen. So as we talked a little bit about last week, the recount of John the Baptist's demise, we noticed that Jesus is kind of capturing the attention of Herod and the Roman world a little bit because of the miracles and the things that are going on and the crowds that are following him. And so it's kind of become a necessary for him to move to a kind of more remote type of ministry, to get away from the cities and the villages, to get out from where Roman soldiers would be or Herod's police would be, and kind of get alone with his disciples, primarily to teach them and help them. And these disciples have just come back from their mission trip. You can go back up to the first part of chapter 6 and, and verses 7 through 13, and you can read about that. Jesus sent them out with his authority to teach and to heal and to exercise demons and all this. They had come back, and they had glorious news. And so Mark captures this right now. Jesus' compassion, first for his disciples, because he knew they'd be tired, and also for the crowds. And it's something we need to realize is that Jesus' compassion is always deep and always wide. It doesn't leave anybody out. And it's always satisfying. So Jesus cares for the spiritually tired in his disciples. That's the deep part. But he also cares for the spiritually deprived, the masses who don't know him. And that's the wide part. So Jesus is the solution for our spiritual fatigue. If you're feeling 
tired spiritually? I got the solution for you this morning. It's Jesus Christ. But he's also the solution for our spiritual needs. And he shows that why, by how he takes on the crowds. So what are the solutions Jesus gives? Well, first of all, Jesus shows us that time is important as well as tenderness. These things will remedy your spiritual needs, your spiritual vacancies. So first, we're going to look at taking time alone with Jesus Christ. Jesus calls us to solitude for our soul's health. Verses 30 through 32, let me read those again. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. He said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat, which is very important to a Baptist. So they went away in the boat by themselves to a remote place. I mean, this is going on like crazy. So after this mission trip, they're full of adrenaline. They're full of excitement because a lot of great things happened. These 12 disciples went out in pairs. So groups of, a group of six groups went out preaching the message of repentance, healing the sick, exercising demons from people's lives, and, and, and just ministering. And they were pumped. They, never, they had never dreamed that they would be able to do the stuff they had seen Jesus doing. For the first six, five chapters, we've seen Jesus doing all the work, which really isn't work for him because he's God. But we've seen him doing it all, and they're just probably going, we'll never be able to do that. Why, why, when can we participate? We probably can't. But they went and they shared the gospel at that time. And this is what they told them. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn away from your sins. Be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. These signs... These signs are a sign to you to trust God and repent. I mean, that's what, Je that's what they had to be telling them. That's what Jesus had been telling them. And now they're just going out and parroting, basically, what Jesus had been doing. But Jesus knew they'd be tired. I, I've, I've been there. The physical toll would come. All the excitement would eventually <sighs> drain out. The adrenaline would come down. There'd be a little bit of a crash. They would be, need to be refreshed. So he proactively encouraged them to come away by yourselves to a place, a remote place, and get some rest. And he called them to rest. He called them to reset their minds and their hearts. He called them to refresh their lives a little bit. The crowds would never leave them alone. That's the thing about crowds. They never leave you alone. They were, they were preventing them from even eating dinner or supper or lunch or whatever you want to call it. The rush of the crowds was definitely a problem. So one thing we can understand from crowds is that moderation is not their strong suit. If something's good, more of it is better. That's the way most humanity thinks. So the crowd was not going to let them get any time alone. So they got in the boat, the boat they've probably used many times for different things, and they sailed away. Um, reminds me of a whole bunch of songs. But why a boat? Well, it was the most expeditious way to get away from the crowd. The crowd wasn't going to jump in the water and swim after them. So they got away from the crowd, put some distance between them, so that they could begin to recuperate. Now they went to a remote place, and we don't really know where that was. Some speculate it was near Bethsaida, which is on the other side of the Jordan River. But I can tell you this, between the town of Capernaum and the mouth of the Jordan River on the north side of that lake, there's all kinds of remoteness out there. So they could have found any place. But they needed some place that would get them away from the crowds. But the crowd followed along the shoreline and came to the place where Jesus in the boat was going to come ashore. We don't know how they beat the boat, and I don't think it was the whole crowd, but um, 
More than likely, the disciples weren't rowing the boat. They were probably just drifting. You ever drifted in a canoe or something on a river? Floated down a river on an inner tube? Man, it's peaceful. So they're just letting the wind and the current take them out into the lake and steering maybe with a rudder, but not really rowing. So I think that's why the crowd beat them to wherever they came ashore. But they were taking a rest. He wanted them to get along with him and rest. Solitude with the Savior is very essential to this life. Sometimes we spend a lot of time chasing things and events and never spending time with Jesus. We may be doing them for Jesus, but we're not spending time with Jesus, and sometimes they get kind of empty. Jesus took some insightful and insistent compassion, and he showed it to them by pressing them to get along with him. It's something we all can use. Now, Jesus is not suggesting just a holiday, like giving up everything. I mean, he, he wants them to focus on him, him personally, their relationship with him. Not just, I'm, I'm going I'm to be a couch potato this weekend and binge watch something on Netflix. He, he wants them to spend time with him. And this is something Jesus had already set the example for. If you go back to Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus had already set the example of getting up early and setting time alone with his Father. And if Jesus needed to do it, man, do we ever need to do it. We need to imitate that. Solitude is good for our souls. See, and Jesus right here gives us clear approval for boundaries. I could talk all day probably about boundaries, but setting aside time and places for you to be alone, for you not to be bothered by your job, your phone, <laughs> your, 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 your family even. You need to have time alone with your Savior. It's essential for your heart. See, none of us are the Energizer Bunny. None of us can keep going and keep going and keep going and keep doing. We need that solitude. We need that rest. And God doesn't expect you to be this way. You know, I can always, sitting around here in my office some weeks, I can always think of one more thing I could be doing. I go to bed, I think of one more thing I could have done that day or could do that day. And that's part of the problem, is I'm thinking of what I could do. I'm thinking of what I could have done. But I need to know my limits. We all do. I mean, when, we, when God uses us ministerially, like he used the disciples here, you know, we come off of something like that, and it's a great event, and, and, and people's lives got changed, and people were helped. And we think, okay, now what? We go to do something else, and we go to do something else, and, and the list grows. Because we're adding to it, not God. A lot of times, the events and the things we get to do, God put in our life for that one event. I mean, I can create some stuff to do around here, but it's not necessarily what God's wanting us to do. And we therefore don't give God the proper place to use us. We start thinking we're, we got this God and we're kind of on, on our own trek. But solitude puts our focus back on God for, for blessing the good work, the good work that happened. Take time to praise God for that. Thanksgiving is a good time to do that, you know. Give God praise and thanks. All believers need time alone to reset their minds and their bodies on things above. So many times we see, just keep looking horizontally, and we need to take some time to look vertically, to look at the Savior, to look at God, to ask for some help. This can be true not just in ministry, but in any secular job, any job you're in. As a believer in Christ, that is your ministry. That is your place of, of work. And 
time alone with the Savior will help you in that place. You know, because any career or profession, even pastoring, can become a job. You know, it can become that drudgery that we all call a job. But being alone and taking time with rest, nutrition, reflection, they're essential to having a solid career that honors God, putting God first. Our biggest enemy to doing this usually is clocks and our phones, now that we carry them around in our pockets all the time. You need to put them both away. Go somewhere where there's not a clock and turn your phone off. I know many of you are thinking, I can't do that. My job might call me. This person might call me. Sometimes you've got to do it and let God take care of whatever you think you're supposed to take care of in that time of solitude. Listen to your Savior. Make time to be alone with him. Do it daily. Even if it's 15 minutes, do it daily. But also look for times to do it with some extended time. I try to get alone for about a 24-hour period with God once a quarter. And I have to turn off my phone because it's just too easy to be bothered and disturbed. Sabbaticals are something that a lot of pastors and even professors at seminaries use. It's part of the same discipline, getting big chunks of time alone where you can maybe write a book or maybe you can just study something that you're wanting to teach on or, or write a book on. These are essential to long-term ministry and health. It's more than just your weekend, and it's more than just a vacation. Jesus desires to find us quietly resting in him. You need to try it. Set some time to be completely alone with God. I mean completely alone with God. Turn off your phones, turn off your clocks, and just let him talk to you. Read your, script, your Bible and let God talk to you because he wants to. The Holy Spirit will talk to you through the words of Scripture like you've never heard before if you give him the time. Christ had the compassion to encourage his disciples to do that. And he's encouraging us to do that. Solitude, rest. Secondly, he ministers through that same compassion for salvation. Jesus shepherds gently for our soul's salvation. Verses 33 through 34. Let me read those again to you. But many saw them leaving, many being the crowd, saw them leaving and recognized them, Jesus and the disciples in the boat out on the lake, and they ran on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. Jesus was probably tired too. He's riding in the boat with the disciples. Finally, they pick a remote place, a shore that they thought would be remote. And by the time they get to the, to the beach, there's a crowd forming, <laughs> another crowd forming. And uh, Jesus steps out of the boat, and they swarm him. And right that moment, Jesus could have said, let's, let's push away and get back in the boat. We need some time. But that's just not our Jesus. He felt... He experienced, he had right then, compassion on that crowd. He saw their real situation. Not their physical needs, not the healings they may have wanted, not the feeding they may have wanted. He saw their souls. Their souls were lost, wandering, confused, malnourished souls. They were without truth. They were unguided spiritually. They were sheep without a shepherd. Some of you know some things about sheep. 
But sheep need a shepherd. <laughs> sheep always needs a shepherd. They're never found really in the wild fending for themselves. You could turn cattle loose in a, in a wooded area and they'll just eat and hang out there. and They don't really have to worry too much about it. I mean, obviously you want to protect them from, from predators. But the sheep, mm, they, they need to be constantly pushed into a good pasture. They depend on a shepherd 100% of the time. There's got to be a shepherd. Either a shepherd is shepherding them or he's pinning them up to protect them and so he can go get some rest. Sheep need a shepherd. And Jesus saw the people like that. These people are in need. So he remedied their problem and he began to teach them. You notice it doesn't say he began to heal them. He began to cast out demons. It says he began to teach them many things. See, Jesus knew that the biggest thing they needed was to be taught about his father and his ministry and the repentance they needed to do in their life. He would encourage them to repent and trust the one who sent him. And see, this crowd was not different. Jesus had compassion on all the crowds. So don't think, well, this is the one time Jesus had compassion. No, he had compassion before. But Mark takes this point right here, this time, to emphasize this characteristic of Jesus' ministry, that he had compassion on the crowds, all crowds. Some he healed, but all of them he taught. This, this is a dip, deeper demonstration of Christ's love for us. And it's also for us to know how to react and respond to crowds that try to crowd in our time and how to serve them. And it also makes sense for Mark to emphasize this characteristic right now after the disciples had just come back from seeing the same things. Lostness, sheep without shepherds, people who needed help. So this makes the point that Jesus had compassion. His disciples might have been in the boat going, no, let's don't get out here. There's a crowd here. They might have been, I don't know. But Jesus got out. The people were not fed spiritually. These people were not fed spiritually or physically. We're going to take care of that next week. The scribes and the teachers didn't care about these people. The people that they went to to get spiritual instruction really didn't care about them. All they did was teach what some other man had said, not what the Word of God said. They led them with lies. They led them with empty traditions just to please themselves, just to make themselves look good. They turned away from God's holy word, and that's why Jesus came to call them to repentance. And Jesus stood among these people as the good shepherd, the good shepherd who would save them from their sins. Their need for salvation motivated Jesus to, to get out of the boat, to give them compassion, to give them time and attention in this very remote place. What compels a fireman to run into a burning building? I can't, I, I, I can't muster that courage, I don't think, but what compels them to do that? Someone needs saving. Same thing with a Coast Guard swimmer. Why does he jump into the middle of a storm, stormy ocean? Someone needs saving. Jesus plunged into this crowd for the same reason. These souls needed salvation. And this, this scenario that we see here with Jesus, it puts, to, puts in fleshly form the prophecy that was in Ezekiel chapter 34. So turn to Ezekiel chapter 34. I want you to hear these words, and I want you to see Jesus in them. Ezekiel chapter 34, we're going to be starting with verse 1. 
I want you to turn there and see this because it's, it's such a beautiful picture of what they needed and what Jesus provides. Look at it, verse 1 through 6. Ezekiel the prophet is writing, and he says, The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the Lord God says to the shepherds. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves. Shouldn't the shepherds feed their flock? You eat the fat, wear the wool, and butcher the fattened animals, but you do not tend the flock. You have not strengthened the weak, healed the sick, bandaged the injured, brought back the strays, or sought the lost. Instead, you have ruled them with violence and cruelty. They were scattered for lack of a shepherd. They became food for all the wild animals when they were scattered. My flock went astray to all the mountains and every high hill. My flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth, and there was no one searching or seeking for them. God's calling out the shepherds of Israel there in a big and mighty way. They have failed. They have failed to do what they were called to do. Look down in the same chapter to verses 23 through 24, because now we see what God's going to do for those who need a shepherd, the good shepherd. Starting with verse 23. I will establish, God's still talking, by the way. I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. He's talking about Jesus. <laughs> He's talking about Jesus a good five, six hundred years before Jesus showed up. And that's what Jesus came to do. He is the good shepherd, which is why he got out of the boat, which is why he went ashore and waded into that crowd because he saw souls that needed saving. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd that God promised to send. He reverses the wrongs of the previous shepherds the ones who were mistreating the crowds and not taking care of them. Jesus feeds them. Jesus strengthens them. Jesus heals them. Jesus bandages them. He brings them back from straying off. He finds the ones that are lost, and he teaches them with compassion and love for their soul. You want to know what he taught? You can look at Matthew 5, chapter 5 and through chapter 7. There's a lot of things in that Sermon on the Mount. Luke chapter 6, you can see more things that Jesus taught them. He's not teaching anything different here. He's teaching them the same things. And he's teaching them that they need to repent. He is the great shepherd of John chapter 10. His heart moved him to minister right then instead of resting like he had probably originally planned. And that's what our hearts should feel too. We should feel compassion for those who don't know Christ. For those you might get in an argument with at work that aren't believers don't be, don't be angry with them. Be compassionate toward them. I mean, that's how he saw me 40 years ago. I mean, I was wandering like a lost sheep. I was, I was definitely my own uh, man. I was going to make my own way. I was malnourished. I was wounded. I was straying. I was lost. I was shepherdless. And God reached down and showed me compassion. I mean, I was ready to be my own God. 
but God showed me differently. See, Jesus gently calls each and every one of us to this. He calls us to come to him compassionately. Tenderly, he calls. And he wants us to find rest in his pasture, which goes back to what we talked about a while ago, finding time alone with God, with your Savior. He wants us to find rest in his pasture, not in our pasture of choosing, not where we think we're supposed to be resting, in his pasture. He longs to teach you better ways to live, eternally focused perspectives, and a purposes beyond your own selfish ideas. That's what he wants us to, to see. We should be expressing that compassion to others. And like I said, salvation is just the beginning of eternal life, and that eternal life starts right here on planet Earth. You can start living for Jesus right this minute. I thank God every day that I have a shepherd like this who showed me compassion, cared for my soul, and saved it. And that's what Jesus did here. He had compassion. The compassion of Christ grants us rest and salvation. We need to never forget that he did it all because he loved us. Remember at the beginning I said, what's your number one gratitude? That it should be Jesus. That Jesus takes that number one spot of what you're grateful for this week. It should be every week, but this week we can emphasize it. And if it's not, why not? Why isn't Jesus number one in your life to be grateful for? He is the great mentor. He is the great mentor that mentors us. He died for you, and now he intercedes for you every day, standing and seating next to the throne. And we need to give thanks without end to him. So seek to be compassionate to others around you and be thankful for the compassionate shepherd that you have. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that we can remember what you've done for us. Jesus, thank you for your compassion. Your compassion that took you all the way to the cross. Your compassion that suffered such humiliation. Your compassion that shed so much blood for our sins. Your compassion that died. Thank you for that sacrifice. Thank you for the freedom and the opportunity it offers us in Christ, in you, Father, to just enjoy the forgiveness of our sins. May we seek to show that same compassion that you showed us to the world around us. Guide us and direct us, Father, to do that. This week, as we give thanks, take some time off to do that, may we all give more thanks to you and share what we have with those around us, showing them compassion. Help us to find the lost sheep. Help us to be willing to step out and risk a few things to compassionately minister to those who may not know your son. Give us the strength to do that. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, speaking of give thanks, let's stand and give thanks.